I am going to do my best this morning to share with you from the Word of the Lord what the Lord has placed in our heart for our time together today. I do not have a traditional Mother's Day message uh, this morning. I'm not going to apologize for that either. I was going to do that, uh, but I have been working for some time uh, and had it on my desk and did some things. I'm not a big uh, uh, sermon series preacher, never have been. Uh, I've tried it a few times and then I get distracted, but this is a series of messages that I've been working on and putting together and I felt impressed today to, to launch this. And I'm going to take us for the next few weeks on a journey. Uh, and I believe it's very important uh, of where we find ourselves. So this may be a little more teaching for the next few weeks than actually preaching. But you know how that is. I will have to preach a little bit in the, in the middle of there. Uh, but uh, at the same time... I believe that we're in a very unique season, as all of you, I believe, understand that. And while we see darkness, uh, we see evil, we see lots of things taking place in our world and even in our nation, uh, I believe that there is nothing greater than us coming to an understanding of what we desperately need right now uh, is biblical leaders. Uh, not just in our halls of government, but we need biblical leadership in our local churches. We need it in our families. We need it in our homes. And I have been pushed by the Spirit of the Lord uh, because I sense that while we have lots of positions and titles, we have very few leaders. And if you're going to be a leader, if I'm going to be a leader then we have to make sure that we have been prepared to lead. Because just because we tell somebody that you have a position or you have a responsibility, that does not mean they have the capacity or the ability to fulfill that responsibility. And I'm going to take us on a journey, and we're going to talk about a man uh, for the next few weeks uh, by the name of Joshua. Most of you are probably familiar with that name if you've been around the church world any at all, and you would probably immediately uh, go to the story of Joshua and the walls of Jericho. Uh, but before he ever got to Jericho, there was a lot of stuff that happened in his life. And uh, while we're going to read in Exodus in just a moment, I want to basically, as a verse for the next few weeks that we're going to really work from, is found in Deuteronomy chapter 3 and 28. It says, but charge Joshua and encourage him. This is the word of the Lord to Moses. It says, but charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. If we paraphrase that, the word of the Lord is this. Moses, this young man is going to follow you. And he is going to take these people into the place of promise that I have spoken to them concerning. And we find that while many times these things uh, come through opposition and resistance, but we know that doors open and close in our lives all the time. They offer exciting and new opportunities as well as perhaps some of them offer significant challenges to us. The same is true for Moses. The same is true for Joshua. But Joshua, when we find him, he's standing at a doorway of new opportunities, but yet he did not just walk in. We know that from the age 40 to the age of 80, he served the man named Moses. He served him in a few capacities, but as he did that, there was a day that finally the mantle of leadership was taken off the lifeless shoulders of Moses and was put squarely and firmly on the shoulders of Joshua. Now, if he had not went through a preparation period, Israel would have experienced disaster. But because of God's hand of provision and his 
caring ways. He positioned a man for 40 years to be groomed and to be prepared for the task that was ahead. The church throughout the ages has primarily thought of the book of Joshua as a historical record, and therefore it is true. But the ancient Jewish organization of the scriptures has designated the book of Joshua as a book as part of the prophets. We know this, that Joshua, the book, can be broke down into three areas. Number one, entering Canaan. Number two, conquering Canaan. And number three, dividing the land of Canaan. But we find that when you begin to look at this, there is seven critical lessons that I find through Scripture that prepared Joshua to be the leader that God had ordained him to be. Joshua had a long road of preparation to get to this point that God did. And God decided, I don't want just another Moses, but I want someone that is able to do the task that's in front of them. Notice with me this morning, uh, and when you begin to walk through Scripture, Joshua was slowly and steadily trained from military advisor all the way to the chief of the tribes. There's only one other man that held that office before him, and that was Moses. Now, the Bible very clearly writes out and takes great pains in letting us understand the gradual formation of Joshua. And some of you, how many knows that forming and being made is a process? It doesn't just happen. You can look at many people in Scripture. David, as a young man, was anointed with the horn of oil by the prophet. But he did not go straight to the palace. He went back to the shepherd's field. He went through years of grooming and developing. The same is said for Joshua. The same is said for you and I today. What I have seen over the last two years is very interesting. We have always been in a time where we see a generation come, fulfill their purpose, and then go home. But there has been an acceleration in the last two years. There is hundreds and hundreds of men and women that we know that have been spiritual leaders that has finished their race and they have went home to glory. Now, with that being said, there is a vacuum of leadership. I was in a pastor's conference this week and we found just under 200 pastors was there and there was a handful that was my age. Everybody else was simply in their late 60s into their 80s. Now listen, they're going to finish their race in the days ahead. And if we don't begin to raise up leaders now, I know sometimes you look in the mirror and you still think you're 18 or you still think you're 25. Listen, clean the stuff off the mirror. You're not that young anymore. Trust me. Yeah, that, that's wishful thinking. If you look real close, you will find. Listen, I was asked this week, this is how, this is how bad it gets. You know, I, I'm, I'm like one of those guys, you know, that says he's 35, but yet the pitcher says he's 80. And he says, pastoring's not hard. I, I, I thought I was surpassing that until this week I was walking with my brother Alvin and they said, so this is your son? <laughs> Not once, multiple times. So then we correct the record and they said, so, oh, so he's your younger brother. No, this still ain't no good. No, he's older than me. I don't know, but it's a process. All right. Uh, but we haven't, maybe we don't age well, but I don't know. But the thing is, we're all aging. And therefore, when we change from chapter to chapter to chapter, it means responsibilities increase. It means other things are required of us. And we find that Joshua was groomed for the job. And his job was very intense. How many knows that when you're going to lead a people into a place of promise, that's intense? Can I tell you, your responsibility as a man of one of God, your responsibility is intense as well. Because can I tell you, all of the responsibility of the kingdom does not rest on the preacher. But it rests on every one of us. We are all ambassadors. What does that mean? It means that you and I are all responsible for carrying the message that Jesus Christ loves, heals, forgives, and delivers. Now, we have to know how to do that in the right manner. But we know this. Joshua was groomed for the job, and the Scripture 
gives us seven specific experiences that shaped his leadership style, as well as his heart for God, as well as his daily priorities. How many's ever had their priorities messed up? Yeah, I think we all have. But therefore, we find that when we look at this life of Joshua, it does more than just show us what he did, but it also brings us to a place where we can understand how our Lord shapes us just like he did them so that we can be effective in what we've been called to do. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk to you. And then today, we're going to talk about the value of the worn knee. We're going to talk about learning the power of intercession. But then we're going to begin talking about learning the mystery of communion. We're going to deal with learning uh, to hear the hearts of men as well as understanding the provision of God. We're going to talk about what it means to have a thirsty heart for the things of God. I want to talk about having a controlled appetite, learning to overcome the need for recognition of men and understanding that God's enough. But we find that when we begin to walk through some of these things, it's, it can be exciting, it can be challenging. And this morning, I want to take us to Exodus chapter number 17, and we're going to join uh, and pick up the story. We find that without fanfare or special announcement, Joshua emerges onto the scene in Exodus chapter number 17 amidst a brewing conflict with the people called the Amalekites. And we know that the children of Israel, they're tired. Uh, they've, uh, they've been on a journey for a little while. Uh, they've seen God's provision. They have seen and the bitter waters healed. They've saw the refreshing oasis of the 12 pools and the 10 palm trees. And they have experienced uh, him supernaturally meeting their need by giving them manna, giving them quail. But now they come to a place where they find themselves uh, in a need of rest. And they come to Riphidim. And it means this simply. It means a place where a bed can be made. It's a place where it can be a time uh, to spread a mat for a bed or to create a bedding area. Sometimes it also means just a place or a time or season of rest. So in need of much needed rest, they think, okay, we can take a breath now. But then we find that the Amalekites come on the scene. And in Exodus chapter number 17, beginning in verse number 8, I want to read just eight verses with you this morning. And it says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, and it come to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, I want to dive into this with you. Out of the story of the attack that we read this morning, the first lesson to the chief in the making, Joshua, was this, the power of intercession. Moses faced a tough situation, and Joshua watched with, as the situation unfolded. He had a front row seat, so to speak, and he was able to pick out why any leader needs to quickly understand. And I want to say this this morning. Everyone can see the problem, but real leaders devise solutions. 
Everyone can see the problem. Listen, you can talk to anybody and everybody today and they're going to tell you everything that's wrong. But very few people can tell you what we need to do to fix it. And this morning we must understand that Moses began to not just rely on his own wisdom, but immediately Moses understood if we are going to be victorious in this fight, then we are going to have to have some communication with the heavenlies. And we find that in this story, very familiar passage of scripture for some of you, that he begins to look at Joshua and he says this, you need to choose out some men and you need to get ready to go out and fight because I am going to climb the mountain. I'm going to take Aaron and her with me and we're going to go intercede on behalf of Israel and you're going to swing the sword. But listen, we're not going to do this in ourselves. We've got to understand that there's more. So the first thing I would say to you to this is this, understand leaders must know the circumstances around them, the situation they are faced with. Nobody can conquer a demon that they don't know anything about. You can never walk in victory. You can never have a significant move uh, unless you know what you're dealing with. That's why we are told in scripture uh, that we find in Proverbs chapter four, verse number seven. Let me read a few verses before verse number seven. Let's start at verse number five. Solomon's writing, he says, get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Here's what I want you to understand with me. You got to know the circumstances around you. We got to know what we're fighting against today. We got to know what we're dealing with. Uh, Listen, uh, the enemy, he uses all types of activity. Uh, He uses all kinds of influence. So what are we dealing with? Uh, You say, notice with me, wisdom brings a few things. Uh, No matter what season of life you find yourself in, wisdom always brings blessing. Wisdom always brings peace. Uh, Wisdom always brings creativity. Uh, But also wisdom always brings promotion. Uh, That's why we have to understand. We always have to seek after wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing, meaning this. It's the very first thing that we must have if we are going to be effective in leading a generation into the presence of God. You and I are going to have to be men and women of wisdom. You don't get wisdom by just listening to a preacher. You don't get wisdom by just going to church. You don't get wisdom by just singing a song. You get wisdom by spending time alone with the Lord and understanding what's going on in the world around you. Uh, Listen, uh, one preacher simply said this uh, years ago, I believe it's time for us to once again get a newspaper under one arm and the Bible under the other. Uh, What he was saying is this, uh, I have to understand the season and the time that I'm living in. Uh, It's not a enough to say that, oh, Jesus is coming back one day. Uh, But where are we at prophetically? Uh, Notice uh, Solomon, uh, he was a wise man. He knew a lot of stuff. uh, Let me just give you a real quick look at what he did. Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs. Uh, He wrote 1,005 songs. Uh, He simply had the ability to speak of trees and animals, birds, creepy things, and fish of all sorts uh, from all of the known world. Uh, Notice most people are satisfied with being a copy when God wants you to be an original. Notice Solomon said, I'm going to learn what I can about everything around me so I can have conversation concerning it. You and I today need to understand if we are going to be effective in leadership, then we too must be men and women of wisdom, not just of natural things, but of spiritual things. What is God saying concerning where we are? And we find that in verse number eight, very clearly, that when we read together, they began to focus in on, okay, what's the circumstance? Who are we fighting? Who is our enemy? But secondly is this, if we are going to be godly leaders, we must know the enemy that we face. Sometimes it takes some effort to realize who you're fighting and what you're up against. Having knowledge of the enemy's strength as well as his weaknesses makes all of the difference in battle. In the military world, we never just go to war with somebody. 
but there is great effort. There is great intel. There is lots of sweat, lots of energy put into where is our enemy strong and where is our enemy weak? It makes the difference. No matter whether it's physical or spiritual, battles are won as well as lost on the assessment of the enemy. How well are you assessing the enemy that's trying to gain access into your life and into your family at this moment? Understand where and how an enemy will attack is essential to preparing the defenses that will withstand the onslaught of the enemy. That's why when you begin to look at scripture, it's very important that we understand that Ephesians chapter 6 verse number 12 We read these words, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Can I tell you, the weapons uh, of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. The greatest weapon that we have is the weapon of prayer. It is the weapon of intercession. And that's what uh, Moses wanted Joshua to understand at the very beginning of his journey of being developed to become a leader, to take Israel into the place of promise. He noticed with me, leaders must also know their resources for problem solving. We find that foolish leaders tackle every problem by themselves. Uh, Wise leaders, however, they assess their own team and then they began uh, to make the demand of battle. Notice with me in verse number nine, Moses simply calls Joshua and he says, choose us out men. Listen, he did not say, go get this man, this man, this man. He said, I want you to go choose out men that you believe that are readily able. He said, I'm trusting your judgment. I'm trusting your your intellect. I'm trusting your wisdom, your knowledge. Uh, He said, I'm putting responsibility in your hands. Uh, And we find that because of that, uh, that they was able to be victorious, not just because of the men that they chose, uh, but because of every man taking his rightful place in the the battle that was uh, getting ready to unfold. Uh, We find that leaders also must understand that even the physical problems of God's people are fought in heavenly places. Uh, Notice with me, when you look at the story, Moses uh, is here. He sees the enemy in front of them. Knows his people are tired. Knows that they're weary. Uh, He has Joshua and well-abled men uh, that are able to go swing the sword with the best of them. They are able to go out and defend themselves. Uh, But at the same time, they realized uh, that what they needed uh, was not just mere physical strength, uh, but they needed the favor of God. Uh, And I want to say to you this morning, uh, we do not need just mere physical strength. Uh, We do not need just mere physical knowledge and wisdom. Uh, But right now, we have to understand uh, that if we are going to drive back darkness, if we are going to walk in victory, uh, then we are once again going to have to be connected uh, to the heaven. Uh, and you are not connected with the heavenlies. I don't care how intellectual we become. I don't care how much knowledge we possess. Uh, but unless we continue to stay on our knees in prayer uh, and in a place of intercession, uh, we will not know what God is doing in the moment. Uh, just because God used you in a particular manner last month uh, does not mean he's going to use you in the same manner this month uh, because it's a different attack. It's a different enemy. Yes, it all comes from the same place, but it's a different hour. It's a different day. And therefore, we must understand that even our physical problems, they are fought in heavenly places. This is a critical area often neglected, even within the church, I sadly have to say. But Paul addressed it in a very clear manner in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. He simply said, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Uh, There is an enemy uh, that's still doing what he's always done. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal and kill your family. Uh, He wants to take everything from you. Uh, He wants to destroy nations. Uh, But how many knows that he does not have the ability uh, when the men of God and women of God take their rightful place uh, and say, not today, devil. Uh, Can I tell you, uh, sometimes you have to raise up a standard against him. uh, But you only raise up a standard uh, when you get into a place of intercession. Uh, You say, well, uh, I, well, I, I pray every day. 
Well, that's wonderful. Uh, but I'm not talking about, Lord, bless my food. Uh, I'm not talking about, Lord, lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul to keep. Uh, no, I'm not talking about those things. Sometimes uh, you have to make war uh, in, in a place of intercession. Uh, why do we do that? Uh, it's because we need to make sure that a generation understands uh, that doesn't matter how much success we have by the world standard, uh, the only place of true success and true victory uh, is is when we have this relationship right uh, and there is a flow of supernatural power and anointing that is present. Uh, listen, I can stand here and teach you principles. Uh, I can talk to you about many things, uh, but you're still going to walk in a manner where you're bound, uh, where you're discouraged. Uh, the only thing that's going to bring complete deliverance uh, into our lives is if there is a supernatural presence uh, of the Holy Spirit of God that breaks the yoke of bondage. Uh, what I'm saying today is this. Uh, we need a generation that once again uh, experiences the anointing of God. Uh, it's not enough to have head knowledge, uh, but we got to get back to a place where we are walking uh, with the favor of God and the blessings of God. Uh, and Moses did not simply need a simple head count uh, or a weapons assessment from Joshua, uh, but what he needed to do uh, was to bow himself before God uh, and intercede for the battle. Uh, can I tell you, we're in a battle today. Uh, listen, you're not on a love boat today, uh, but we're still on an old ship of Zion. Uh, it's battered. It's torn. Uh, the sails have been through many storms, uh, but we're still sailing towards home. Uh, but listen, uh, if it could talk, it could tell you some stories. Uh, it could tell you how the enemy showed up and tried to cause this havoc uh, and try to bring this destruction. Uh, it could tell you uh, of the faithfulness of God that it experienced. Uh, but this morning, please hear me. Uh, there is a battle that is raging today. Uh, that battle is raging for your life. Uh, it's raging for your family. It's raging for your children. Uh, it's raging for our nation uh, and the nations of the world. Uh, but somebody's got to begin to intercede on the battle. Uh, another message is not going to change our nation. Uh, another song will not change our nation. Uh, we are in a cycle that says, uh, and if we're not careful, we're just a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees uh, doing what we know to do. Uh, but I want to tell you this morning, there's something more. Uh, if we would begin to intercede on behalf of the battle, uh, we could begin to see great victory. Uh, we could begin to see the pushing back of the adversary. Uh, you say, how is that? Uh, notice with me, uh, Joshua swinging his sword. He's down in the valley. Uh, he's skilled. The men that's with him is skilled. Uh, and we find that they're out there. Uh, Moses climbs the mountain. Uh, he goes up and he lifts his hands towards heaven. Uh, his palms are raised. Uh, and while his hands are lifted, uh, Joshua begins to win. As long as intercession is taking place, the children of Israel are advancing. But he gets tired. He gets weary. It gets weighty. Well, maybe I'm not going to intercede any longer. But then when his arms go down, Israel begins to be driven back. They were still the strong man that they was. They still had the same skill that they had. But the intercession is what made the difference. They was not able to prevail just in physical might. Uh, they was not able to prevail in just physical ability. Uh, they was not able to prevail in physical knowledge. Uh, but it wasn't until Moses was up on the mountain uh, and intercession was been made uh, that there began to be victory. Uh, can I tell you, we know how to do church. Uh, we know how to say the right thing and do the right thing. Uh, I can grill some scriptures and make you get excited and dance a little bit. Uh, but listen, uh, your family's still bound. Uh, your nation's still in trouble. Uh, there's still no deliverance. Uh, but when you get to a place of intercession, uh, strongholds begin to be broken. Uh, deliverance begins to come to the people of God. Uh, I want to tell somebody this morning, uh, we got to learn once again the power of intercession. Uh, Moses was telling Joshua, listen, uh, if you're ever going to do what God's put in your heart to do, uh, you got to first look on the mountain and realize, Joshua, it's not about you. Uh, it's not about your ability. Uh, but it is about the God that's above you. Uh, and when you begin to intercede with him, uh, everything begins to change. Amen. This morning, please hear me. Moses understood the power of intercession. I thought this was quite interesting. The upward palms 
have long been understood by rabbis as a position of prayer. In the Hebrew world of long ago and still in the current Orthodox world of today, prayers of supplication are symbolized by holding the hand palms upward. Notice with me, in times of extreme need, you will still find that their arms are lifted upward and their palms are lifted upward. And it is quite possible that when Paul was writing to Timothy, understanding the culture and understanding the time, he's why he instructed Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 8. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What he was simply telling Timothy was this, as Paul was in his final hours as well. He said, Timothy, don't ever miss this. If you're going to carry this thing on, he said, you have to be a man that gives themselves to prayer, but you also have to be a man that gives themselves to intercession. And that's why he was saying, lift up your hands. So what he was telling Timothy is this, Timothy, do what you've seen the old rabbis do for years. Be willing to go out and lift your hands, but then lift your palms upward and begin to make the prayer of supplication and intercede. Hear me today. If you and I are going to be effective in leading a generation to the presence of God, we're going to have to understand the power of what the Jewish culture understood is we've got to be connected. Right now, please hear me. Your children, your grandchildren, is hanging in the balance. And we can be passive and we can say, not today. Or we can make a decision to become leaders. And this is just the very first of developing a leader that is able to experience the blessing and the favor of God and the promises of God. This morning, when a world is going crazy around us, please hear me. Not only must leaders understand that even the physical problems of God's people are fought in heavenly places, leaders must also be willing to be good followers of the things of God. You will not see where Joshua began to have conversation with Moses and ask him why or how, but you will see that Joshua responded by the request of Moses and he simply went and did what was asked of him to do. It is worth highlighting that Joshua, Joshua was not prepared to lead if he wasn't prepared to follow. In order for us to ever be, willing, be able to fully fulfill our purpose as leaders in this hour, we must first become those that's willing to follow the direction of God. I want to give you just a couple of more things this morning. You and I, if we're going to be leaders in this time and this season that we find ourselves in, we must acknowledge where our true victory comes from. I alluded to it just a moment ago, but in verse number 14, notice it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of, Amal uh, of the Amalekites from under heaven. What he was saying is this. He's like, Moses, this is one of the main things that Joshua needs to understand. Because how many knows that once you begin to walk and have success, you begin to think that, hey, you're causing that success. We're all human, right? Well, I've got this figured out. I, I, I can make this happen. I, I, I'm having good success. Don't sit there and look so holy. You all have thought those things. I've got this figured out. But Moses received word from the Lord, and the Lord said, I want you to write this event. I want you to write this battle in a book. And I don't want you to just put it away, but I want you to rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. I want you to continually to tell Joshua that, listen, I'm going to make war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. They're never going to be at peace. They're never going to walk in a place of victory. But I'm going to continue to defeat them. But it's not because, Joshua, you was altogether lovely and all of that. You was obedient, Joshua. But, Joshua, you can never forget that there was an old man on top of the hill that was interceding. 
You could never forget that Aaron and her labored on your behalf. You could never forget that they went and they took a big stone and rolled it over. They took another stone and rolled it over. And they put Moses' hands on it when he was so tired. And one on each side and they held his hands up. Meaning this. The weight of the battle. The weight of the hour. The opposition was coming. But the weight was so strong that Aaron and Hur was on each side and they kept his hands up. In my mind... Not only was they keeping his hands up on the rocks, but I believe they was keeping his palms held upward as well. Making sure he was in the right position. So that here's the intercession that was taking place. And notice, he was telling him this, repeat it often. Rehearse it because I want him to understand that his victory was not in his physical might. His victory was because of what he was connected to. Please hear me today. The church in America has had great success. We are so privileged to gather in buildings that are far beyond anything our founding fathers could have ever dreamed just a few years ago. You see, some of you in this room, some of the elders in this room, if you think real hard, you can can have some fading memories of your childhood, your young childhood days, and you begin to witness the exiting of the church from the old garages and the potbelly stoves into block buildings to tiled floors to indoor plumbing. But then you begin to watch the progression and now we sit in luxury. We sit with all of the finer things in life. <coughs> and that's wonderful. But if we're not careful... We've become a Laodicean church that says we're increased with goods and have need of nothing. But our father simply says, you're naked, you're blind. Because can I tell you today, while we're sitting here without intercession, there is an enemy that's overrunning a generation, overrunning our families. Listen. I don't want to go back to a garage and a potbelly stove. I don't want to do that. But when we was there, I say the church, when we was there, there was intercession going on. And life's was been changed and transformed. Revival fires was burning. Those that was bound was been set free. But today, we walk in. And we walk out, we walk in, and we walk out. And it's not because people say, well, it's more evil today. Can I tell you, I can take you back to times in history when there was evil abounding more so than what we see right now. I can take you to some ruins in other parts of the world, and I can take you and show you where they took babies and throwed them on the altar and they offered to their gods. I, 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 I can show you all types of things when evil was abounding. But the difference is our mindset in the church is much like it is in the world. Just let somebody else do it. Just let somebody else do it. Just let somebody else do it. Here's what I got to say to you today. Brother Dalton's not coming back from heaven to be a leader again. Reverend Irvin Steele is not coming back to lead again. My father is not coming back to lead again. Brother Claude Ely is not coming back to lead again. Harley Hensley is not coming back 
to intercede again. They left. Their time has come and gone. But you and I, we're now men and we're now women. You may see yourself as inadequate. You may see all of your flaw and error. Listen, that is the trickery of the enemy. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. And for such a time as this, God has saw fit for you and I to be alive. We may not have the charisma that some do. We may not have the intellect that others do. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that we begin to be a people that understand that, you know what? Somebody's got to lead a generation into his presence. And that means it takes a leader. So young and old alike, don't care what age you are under the sound of my voice this morning. If we are going to be true men and women of God, we are going to have to begin men and become men and women that once again learn what Joshua learned. In order for there to ever be victory in the valley, there's got to be somebody on the mountain interceding. So I ask you, what's keeping you, what's keeping me from birthing a victory in this generation? Because if Amalekite and the Amalekites, if Amalek and his people was driven back, then the darkness of this day can also be driven back but only through intercession. This morning, you and I must understand it's important that we give ourselves to prayer and we have to hear and respond. As they make their way to the music this morning, I want to give you a story. Sometimes that little still small voice is so easily ignored. But when we begin to give ourselves to prayer and intercession and meditating on the things of God, he leads us, guides us, and directs us. Monday of this week, we was in conference and powerful services. Then Men Alvin, he... We went to lunch and we had a few hours to, we had a few hours just to do nothing. So you do what most Russells do. You go find an antique shop or go find an ice cream parlor or something, you know. We just ate so, and I already had my ice cream, so we just went and, without you, Warren, I'm sorry, I had my ice cream. So we took a ride and walked through a little store and said, what do you want to do? And I, Google's your friend, you know, when you're in places you don't really know a whole lot about. And I found this, the oldest pottery shop this side of the Appalachian Mountains. I was like, that sounds nice. So we drive. Yeah, it was old, all right. It was abandoned. Some old pottery in the windows, the building broken down. I was like, well, what's this about? And I looked at Alvin. We didn't know where we was at. I said, how about we just shoot down that old road right there and we'll just go see what we can see. And he says, that's fine. When everything going on, I've just been spending time alone with the Lord and meditating and trying to process dad's home going and all these things and just been spending time with Jesus. So I cross this road and I just happen to look. I'm on the phone. I look over and I see an old barn. The door's open and on this barn there's a little orange sign that says sale. And I said, Alvin, somebody's having a sale. So of course, if you're Russell, you got to go check it out. So I pulled in and I'm on the phone. Alvin goes ahead and gets out and there's a white-haired lady looks around the corner and walks out and starts talking to him. And I'm like, I know that lady. I don't know how I know that lady, but I know that lady. So I'm on the phone and a little bit longer, and I just abruptly ended my conversation because then I realized I knew who she was. And I thought, what in the world is she doing here on a back road outside of Waco, Kentucky? I never knew there was a Waco, Kentucky. I walk up and 
It was my, best, my dad's best friend's wife who had unexpectedly three months ago went home to Jesus. Brother Harry Revel. He married me and Debbie just under 30 years ago. His brother said, and you're still his friend? I said, yeah, I guess. But I found myself standing in an old barn. Smelled just like my daddy's barn. Old leather books. Harry's brother said, I think he knew something was going on because he got rid of everything except for his store downtown in Richmond and this old barn. And he was going to get rid of this one next. We sat him there and he was like, you sure you didn't plan on being here today? I said, I, don't, I can't plan on being someplace that I don't know exists. And he was sitting there and he said, we need a miracle. They was overwhelmed with the task. I'm not talking about a hundred books. I'm talking about thousands and thousands of books. They've given away, sold, did everything. They said, we got to get everything out of this old barn. There's overwhelmed. We need a miracle. Somehow, I know how, but somehow, me and my son Alvin <laughs> ends up standing in an old barn outside of Waco, Kentucky, holding hands, get this now, holding hands with my dad's best friend's widow and his family, and just praying for the peace of God and the direction of God. I say that to say this, a good man steps as ordered by the Lord. We can never walk in order unless first we learn how to live in a place of intercession. And I'll be the first to tell you, my friend, this place of intercession sometimes becomes lonely. Sometimes it becomes weighty. Sometimes it goes unnoticed. But there's a generation that's depending upon you and me to find the strength to climb the mountain and to put our palms towards heaven so that a generation can begin to defeat darkness and begin to experience the glorious light of the gospel. But if you and I choose not to be leaders, if you and I choose to pass the baton, God help us. See, learning the power of intercession Changes how we do things. I'll run with you. I'll shout with you. I'll encourage you. But it's all just make believe if we don't really get connected with Jesus. This ain't about a short feeling, this is living a life of victory. Joshua led people to victory that day against the Amalekites because of intercession. You and I will experience victory in 2021 when we begin to come back to a place of intercession. So I challenge you. As I challenge myself to say no matter what opposition I may experience, I'm going to climb the mountain one more time. And I'm going to lift my hands towards heaven. And I'm going to put my trust in him. And when you do that, you'll see your children advance. You'll see your nation turn. You'll see darkness defeated. You say, how can you say that? I want to leave you with this. 
Many of you probably can quote 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, and then will I hear from heaven and I will heal their land. We all focus on that. It's a wonderful verse, powerful verse. But verse 15 never really gets talked about too much. This is why we intercede. This is why we pray. Because where the Lord says, now my eyes shall be open and my ears attentive under the prayer that is made in this place. He was talking about a natural temple there, but we know this, that Paul tells us very clearly, we are the temple of God. And when this temple begins to become a place of intercession, notice God's eyes are open and his ears are open. And when his eyes is open and his ears is open, oh, victory begins to be present on behalf of those that call out on him. As we stand all over the house this morning, My whole, my whole focus this morning is this. Do not forget the scripture that I started with today. Deuteronomy 3 and 28. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. For he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. I believe with all of my heart this morning that there's some promises that have not yet been obtained. There's some victories that have not yet been won. So today I'm no Moses, and you're not Joshua, but you are the people of God. So today I come and I charge you, and I encourage you, and I strengthen you in the name of the Lord. Because I believe I'm looking at some men and women that's going to lead a generation into a place where they can obtain some promises that God has spoken concerning this hour. And I come to tell you today, no weapon formed against you will prosper if you will continue to be in a place of intercession. But the question is, how will we respond? Joshua responded in obedience. And because of that, victory was won. I'm asking you, I'm calling you to a place of complete surrender to the things of God. We may not understand it. We may see some things that seems bigger than us. But today, today, Victory is ours if we stay in that place of intercession. Hey everybody, it's Pastor Jade here. I just want to thank you for watching. I hope that this message challenged and changed your life with the power of the Holy Ghost. We ask that you continue following us and watching us weekly. And if you want to follow us on any social media platform, you'll find the link to all those platforms in the description below. We love you. So does God. Have a great day.